Let's start the show by talking about my sponsor, Paloma Verde, and their new website, PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out for all of your CBD needs. They've got the gummies, tinctures, the salves. So if you're needing anything to maybe chill you out, something to help you get mellowed out, something for your joint pain and stiffness, go over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and give them a check out. Carlos and Vanessa are awesome people. They run a great company. And if you enter the promo code FACTS at checkout, you'll get 25% off your order. Plus, any order over $75, you get free shipping. So, I don't know what you're waiting for. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out. Let's start the show. This episode will be completely taken out of context. Welcome to the Fact Check This Podcast. Right, fact check this podcast, and I had promised an interview with Mark Metz of uh, for a review of the new Dune movie, and we had to postpone. Mark's got family in town, and I get it. I uh, family comes first, especially over just reviewing a movie that's been made multiple times for books. That uh, if you haven't read the books, I don't know how much you get out of the movie anyway. Like, and the books have so much depth and like there's so much more to I'm always a huge fan of a book over a movie no matter what it is just because anytime you're looking at a movie it's going to some extent be the director or the creator's artistic ter- interpretation of what the book was and sometimes they they have uh the the author will you know advise or or have some part in that so they can kind of shape it a little bit into what they actually intended it to look like but you know there's always some level of interpretation involved with a a movie adaptation of a book and and at least with a book you can kind of get an idea in your own head of what it looks like which which my wife criticized me uh I've been watching the foundation series on uh Apple TV which I've enjoyed but it hasn't really stuck to the book really well and one thing in particular was the the vault and the way that is portrayed in the show and i I was like my biggest my biggest gripe with it is how they portrayed the vault and my wife said because it's not exactly what you pictured it in your mind i was like no because it's not even remotely what he wrote on paper like it if i imagined this thing that he very very graphically and in-depth described in because if you haven't read any asimov asimov gives extremely deep graphic detailed in uh description of the world that he's creating so you get a very vivid image of what it's supposed to look like and when that comes to life on the screen and it's not even remotely close. It's like, all right, he didn't really, he didn't re- really leave a lot of wiggle room there. So you should have been able to get this right, and you didn't. Uh, but but I, I have enjoyed the show. Um, yeah, definitely hasn't really stuck very well to the books. And I, I try, I really try to uh, separate my expectation of what was in the book from what I'm going to see in a movie. Uh, the Jurassic Park movies, which I was, you know, I was young at the time, but still I had read the books and because I'm, uh, 
even at that age, I read a lot and, and the, the books were so much better than the movies, like not even close. And so, so then, uh, later on, I'm, this is not at all what the episode was supposed to be about. Damn it. Whatever. This is going to be what it is. (laughs) So later on in life, like when the one <clears throat> of the Lord of the Rings movies started coming out, the born the uh the born identity and those movies came out. I tried to separate a little bit of what my expectation was from the book to what was gonna be in the movie. And so like for instance, the the Lord of the Rings movies, the theatrical cut had all of the really important stuff but they would also cut out some of the other stuff that they kind of gave uh reference points and and tied things together and gave you backstory and other things and like side stories that were going on things like that from the books that weren't necessarily super important to the main story but they added you know they had a character to the story overall but then if you got the like four plus hour director's cut that had everything he did a really good job in those movies of capturing all of the content of the books so like those were super well done but then if you watched say the born trilogy the born identity born uh born supremacy and uh the born ultimatum uh, they 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 more or less took the character of Jason Bourne and then they kind of told a different story. And I, I watched some of the making of that and like they were very they were very clear from the onset that like we are not trying to recreate the book trilogy. We are we are creating a, a thing out of this. Like we're we're making it its own story. And the way that they did the story for the movies was really, really good. Like I love those movies and the way that, that Robert Ludlum wrote the stories for the books. I really love the books, but there is no way those books could be put into movie form without it being NC 17. Like that there, it would be not, not so much that it was like really graphic, but the way the, the way the books kind of, uh, the violence and the action and and some of the graphic nature of it. Like the books were very hardcore uh spies, action, like lots of lots of stuff going on that I just don't know how it translates into movie form really well and gain a you know become something that people are gonna want to go see. Because it was very very nuanced and there's a lot of twists and turns and and stuff in the books and I loved it but I understood the purpose of doing the movies kind of as their own standalone thing because it's it's hard to tie that those books into movie form in my opinion and you know then there's other stuff uh other movies that like I really want to do a I'm hoping somebody will take me up on it. I really want to do a book review of the uh the Maze Runner trilogy because the the books were excellent. 
And I loved everything about the books. I have yet to make it through the entire trilogy of the movies. The original Maze Runner movie, there are, there's one particular aspect of the book that by removing that, it took away all of the depth of the movie. Like the main character development and the way that they get along with each other and their interaction and everything, like by taking away, it's a spoiler alert. And if you haven't read it at this point, I, I don't know what the fuck you've been waiting for. Uh, the two main characters, the male and female, have a telepathic link in the books. And that never materializes in the movie in any in any way, period. And it's it's an integral part of the entire story. <clears throat> so when they when they remove that from the movie and they don't have that, and then the rest of the movie just kind of like in a whole home way tells the rest of the story of the maze runner. But you've already removed a, a central part of what makes these characters who they are and what makes them important to each other. So, like, I watched The Maze Runner and I was extremely disappointed because I loved the books. And then when The Scorch Trials came out, I was like, okay, I'll give it a try. I'll watch it. Maybe they'll, you know, redeem themselves. And I have yet to make it halfway through that movie. I've tried on at least seven different occasions to watch that movie, and I can't get through it. And maybe I just need to sit down and give it another try, but I, I just can't do it. It it pisses me off so much that they that they strayed so far from the source material that I just feel no connection or attachment to any of those characters. So I don't know. It's that's a tough one for me. And, and like, uh, I think I said it before, Anthony Samaroff and, and I are going to do a, a review of Ender's Game. And I love Ender's Game. And I love the, the movie, the Ender's Game movie, because while there are certain aspects of the book that wouldn't translate well into movie form, as a whole, the movie really encapsulates what the book uh, is about. But that's that's part of a... that's. That's part of a four book set, and there was talk that that the that they were going to do all of the books, and it's like there's absolutely no way you can do that because if anybody has read the the Ender Quartet, the second, third, and fourth books really have very little, if anything, to do with that first book. Like they are that first book is a reference point for where they are for these next three books but they don't tie in in any other way. And, and I just don't, and I don't know that that's, that that trilogy, those three books, two, three, and four are good movies. Like, because they get into some really lofty, crazy stuff and uh, excellent books. Again, like really, really love those, but I just don't know how they translate into movie form. Uh, so that's kind of my, tirade off into uh books and movies i mean if we really want to keep going on that so this entire bookshelf over here i've got the entire written works of isaac asimov almost the entire written works of J.R. tolkien uh brave new world 
the John Carter of Mars collection. Uh, let's see, most of C.S. Lewis's written works, the uh, the whole Wrinkle in Time quintet. Uh, let's let's see, the Game of Thrones series, uh, Dante's Inferno, uh, Paradiso, and uh, let's see. Anyway, they're all down there. I read a lot. I'm a fucking nerd. I've also got just these two shelves right behind me are chock full of comic books and graphic novels. And I mean, there's another shelf that I'm looking at across from me that's also full of, that's where I've got all the Dune series, the Robert Ludlum books, uh, a whole, a whole bunch of, uh, Dungeons and Dragons books. I got it. I got real into, uh, R.A. Salvatore and the uh, series. I've got, I've got a lot of stuff, a whole lot of books. Um, so I, I read a lot. One of them that pissed me off the uh, talking about the the Wrinkle in Time. Oh my gosh, that Disney that Disney version of the Wrinkle in Time that might have been that might have been worse than the Maze Runner and Scorch Trial. Might have been. In fact, I, I think I would go so far as to say it was hands down absolutely worse. Like that that might have been the very worst rendition of a book to movie that I think I've ever seen, especially when they're pretending that they're trying to stick to the source material. Like uh, Disney did not come right out and say, Hey, we're just going to go full on woke, dumb bullshit with this. We're not even going to pretend to, to try to do this uh, book justice. Man, it's like, Disney's kind of had a, a good track record of anything they can get their hands on. They're going to fuck it. Pisses me off. At least so far with a lot of the, a lot of the comic book source material, they've done moderately well of sticking to it and, and doing it justice. Um, God, none of this was anything even remotely close to what I actually intended to talk about today. I was, I was going to do the, uh, I was gonna do that that promised filibuster episode today. So let me wipe my glasses off and we'll go ahead and get to that. I'm gonna make it real quick. Uh I say real quick. I've already probably rambled on for 15 minutes about books that I read. Um so this is an article from the Brennan Center for Justice. And it's it's entitled The Filibuster Explained. And they give more opinion on what they think about it. Uh, than I particularly like, especially if you're going to do an article called The Filibuster Explained. But they do a, a decent job of uh, detailing what the filibuster is. So traditionally, the Senate filibuster was reserved for only the most controversial issues, but its use has escalated in recent years, often slowing business in the chamber to a halt. Some lawmakers acknowledge that the filibuster, which has effectively set a 60-vote supermajority requiring for passage of legislation in, in the Senate, could do many of the proposals that they have championed, including including meaningful reforms on issues ranging from health care to climate change to gun control. Behind this dysfunction, the filibuster also has a troubling legacy. It's often been used to block civil rights legislation intended to combat racial discrimination. So that's kind of their intro. And that's kind of where they go with a lot of this is that the filibuster is racist because everything's fucking racist. Uh, so in the Senate, a filibuster is an attempt to delay or block a vote on a piece of legislation or a confirmation. 
To understand the filibuster, it's necessary first to consider how the Senate passes a bill. When a senator or a group of senators introduces a bill, it goes to the appropriate committee for discussion, hearings, and amendments. If a majority of that committee votes in favor, the bill moves to the Senate floor for debate. And once a bill gets to a vote on the Senate floor, it requires a simple majority of 51 votes to pass after debate has ended. But there's a catch. Before it can get to a vote, it actually takes 60 votes to cut off debate, which is why a 60-vote supermajority is now considered the de facto minimum for passing legislation in the Senate. Under the original Senate rules, cutting off debate required a motion to pass with a simple majority. But in 1806, after Vice President Aaron Burr argued that the rule was redundant, the Senate stopped using the motion. This change inadvertently gave senators the right to unlimited debate, meaning that they could indefinitely delay a bill without supermajority support from ever getting to a vote. This tactic is what we now know as a filibuster. So in 1917, the, the Senate passed Rule uh, 22, or the Cloder Rule, which made it possible to break a filibuster with a two-thirds majority. In 1975, the Senate reduced the requirement to 60 votes, which has effectively become the minimum needed to pass a law. And we'll go, I could go through all the rest of the, the dumb shit that's involved with this because they do get into a lot of their uh, personal distaste for the filibuster because they claim that it's used to because the filibuster is racist obviously everything is racist that the left doesn't like and that's the way it's going to be for forever probably but here we are um so see the way this is kind of set up and and this is the problem with modern politics and society and democracy is that we are a country of fucking morons. Collectively, human beings are stupid. That is not to say that individuals aren't smart, but collectively, human beings are fucking stupid and we're pack animals. We are. Sadly enough, we are lemmings. And talking about foundation, like I'll, I'll end up doing the review on it eventually uh, with Matt. But, but like one of the one of the central premises of foundation is that humans are predictable on a large scale. You know, if you're looking at all of humanity, and you look at history, and I mean. If you really think hard about it, and you don't even have to think that hard, if you just kind of look at it a little bit, this is very empirically true throughout history. But if you look at humanity as a whole, as a sum of all of its parts, it's extremely predictable. It goes through the same patterns and cycles and flows and rhythms, and we're in the middle of one of them right now, right the fuck now. I mean, we are Rome happening all over again. Humanity goes through these cycles because we are fucking stupid animals that keep doing the same shit over and over again. So if you look at humanity on that large scale, it's extremely predictable. And so the premise of the original foundation is uh, this mathematician looks at all of those things throughout 
tens of thousands of years of human history and says, okay, this is what's going to happen. I can predict the future based on the past. And here's all the things that are going to happen, lays out kind of a, a foundation for how to save humanity from killing itself off effectively. And so it's, it's a really interesting book series because the more you look at that and the more you think about it, especially in my age and, and seeing what we're seeing happening now, it's so very, very true. Uh, so I kind of forgot where I was going with that. Uh, oh, you, uh, U.S. being full of fucking morons. So the way that the country was founded and the intent of the structuring of the government, it was not meant to do things. Government government was not supposed to function efficiently. Quite the opposite. Government was supposed to be a a gridlock. Things were supposed to go to the government and then fucking die and nothing get done. And then it could be left to states and and local governments to govern themselves based on what was best for where they are in particular. The federal government was never meant to be this thing that it's become. But people are fucking stupid and they need to be they need to have their hands held and be led through life. So here we are with what we now have as the federal government. And the reason that the filibuster and every other mechanism that has been built into government to prevent the government from becoming this monolith that it is now is because people are so dumb they don't understand that the federal government cannot has never been able to and never will be able to effectively govern what is right for 330 million individuals your state cannot govern what is right for whatever it is the 5 million individuals that live in it. Local governments and communities are where it's supposed to come to. The states are supposed to kind of organize that and keep things and keep a structure for everybody living within, you know, that specific boundary. But it's local is where it's always supposed to have been. But because humanity goes through these same patterns and cycles and we really are just a giant flock of sheep that have slightly higher brain function than sheep and opposable thumbs here we are so the challenge is uh, and like thank god for joe manchin and the like the moderate uh democrats because they have successfully killed much of what might have otherwise gotten through uh, here over the last several years with the uh, a democrat controlled uh, Senate How do we get the average person to wake up and understand that what the government is now is not what it was intended to be at any point ever? that this is a bastardization of what government should be. I don't know. I don't know that there is a way to do that. 
And that's why I lean towards anarchy and saying fuck the system entirely and ducking off into the woods somewhere and doing my own thing. Which I highly suggest that everybody should do. So, that's the quick... I didn't go as in-depth on the filibuster as I had originally intended to, mostly because I spent more time talking about books and movies than I had intended to. But, it is what it is. I have a lot of books, and I would much rather talk about those than any of this political dumb bullshit. Because at this point, politics is just a giant circle jerk. And the really fucked up thing is we're the ones in the middle of the circle we're not even getting the good jerk fuck it that'll be it for today i'll be back wednesday with i don't know we'll figure that out when the time comes um actually wednesday might be i might just do a live stream episode on wednesday because i uh wednesday tuesday is my last day of this work block uh, and I'm working 12-hour night shifts, so I might do a late episode Wednesday, like noonish or uh, early afternoon, and just do a live stream and maybe look at a book and talk shit about whatever kind of hits me. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. No promises on Wednesday. If anybody's got an idea, or if anybody wants to participate in a live stream sometime Wednesday afternoon, and uh, we can shoot the shit, whatever, hit me up. Let's do it. In the meantime, I hope everybody has a great day and i will be back wednesday with something we'll figure it out when we get there later